0: As we move on to just 6 from the very beginning of this Torah, you notice in the very first ayah, we're being reminded once again of this consistent theme of justice, which is one of the main concepts that you find time and time again mentioned directly and indirectly throughout Surah al Nisa at the very beginning of this juz, Allah says, There's an important concept mentioned within this ayah, except for those who have been oppressed. Meaning, when it, from a broader perspective, you have certain norms in life, you have certain norms in our deen without question. But as soon as there's oppression, especially when it's significant, Naturally, that's going to change the situation. So the the one of the key reminders that we can take from this ayah, literally from the very beginning of the juz, is to take a step back and to reflect and to ask ourselves, how how do we treat others and are we giving them just cause to complain about us to Allah or perhaps to other people? It could be the authorities or whatever. How are we doing in that regard? It's not... Just suppo- connecting with the Qur'an is not just supposed to be reading it and listening to it, and that's it. In and of itself, those things are good. Those things are very good. We're taking our vitamins by doing so, our iman vitamins by doing so. But naturally, with most vitamins, you need to couple of them with a the meal. You can't just take it on an empty stomach. So we're supposed to couple what we're listening to, what we're reading... It's supposed to be coupled with reflection and practice in our own situations. This ayah also reminds us that we should have a sense, of, a sense of concern in general, in a healthy way, not in an unbalanced, unhealthy way. But there should be a general concern in the back of our minds that, you know what, the dua of the oppressed is accepted. The dua of the oppressed is accepted. And the Prophet taught us, no matter who it is calling out to Allah, they could be Muslim or not. If someone is wronged and they complain to Allah as an oppressed person, that that dua is, is like, you know how in, in, uh, on some freeways you have the regular lanes and then you have the fast track? That dua is not just accepted, but it's on the fast track, so to speak. So just by coming across this ayah, there's a lot of food for thought, to reflect within each of us, generally speaking, just to monitor things internally, how are we doing in this regard? How are we treating other people in this regard and in general? So from the very beginning of the juz, we're reminded again of the concept of justice. And it's important to note, because a lot of the time, a lot of things, unfortunately, are drastically taken out of context in the name of mercy and compassion in connection with our deen. That's not what it's supposed to be. Option one, is mercy, no question. However, there is another option after that if mercy is completely neglected and overlooked and pushed to the side, and let's say someone they still, they go and oppress somebody or they oppress other people, they wrong them, especially in severe ways. Okay, after that point, if they don't care about mercy anymore, men la la Whoever doesn't show mercy won't be shown mercy. And this was said by the mercy sent to mankind by the most merciful. So when the Prophet is saying, if you don't show mercy, you won't be shown mercy, it's extremely significant because of who's saying it, wasallam. If he's telling us that, then we should really take heed of it. We should really reflect and think, okay, how am I doing in this regard? To internally monitor things. Option one is mercy without question, but option two is justice. Option two is justice. And there's this, the, the, there's this constant balance in our deen. And we're reminded of that time and time again in the Qur'an. There's no question, Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. He's also Maliki Yamadin. So we have both of these concepts, these principles mentioned even within Surah Al-Fatiha. Mercy is emphasized first and foremost. But there are still boundaries and there are still consequences if someone no longer cares about that mercy. So that there, there's this balance within our deen between mercy and justice. And in this surah, we're especially reminded of the justice side of things. The next point that I want to get to, there are some references to Christian theology within, within this juz, within this para. And the point that I want to specify in connection with this is that we should understand our deen first and foremost. We should understand our deen. We should take a step back and dig deeper Especially when our kids come to us and they ask us these really difficult questions. If we don't know, it's okay to say that we don't know, but then let's go and find out. Think of that as an invitation from Allah to learn more about that subject. So if your teenager comes to you and if they ask you very sincerely, Mom, Dad, how do we know that God exists? I'm not necessarily doubting it because to me it makes sense that God exists, but can you help me understand it better? How do we know that Allah exists? My heart tells me that it makes sense, but can you help me to understand it more? For a lot of parents, that can be a, a, really, a really scary question. It's okay. It would actually be not only okay, but a good thing if the parent responds, not by shutting them down and saying, don't ask me these questions. This is from shaitan. Go make wudu, pray two rakahs. Forget about that question. Even if they make wudu and they pray 200 rakahs, they're still going to have the same question. We don't have the luxury of sweeping these questions under the rug. So we have to understand our own theology. Why do we believe in La ilaha illallah? Why do we believe hu al al ahahi wa al-Batin? How can we understand that Allah is the first, nothing is before him, Allah is the last, nothing is after him. How how can we understand these concepts? So the, the main point, I don't want to dive in I don't want to dive into Christian theology because the prerequisite before We reflect on that, and we can compare and contrast a number of different things. But step one should be for us to take a step back and to understand our own theology. First and foremost, what do we believe about Allah? What do we believe about the Prophets? Why do we disagree so vehemently with some of the stories that are still in the Bible until today regarding different Prophets? From Prophet Noah to Prophet David to Prophet Lot. Why do we disagree with them so strongly? Because of what we believe about Prophets. Okay, what do we believe about Prophets? Right, so why do we believe what we believe? And how can we navigate these questions when our kids come to us with them? We ask Allah to make it easy for all of us. No one is saying this is easy. You know, your average 15-year-old has like massive dissertation questions. Right, It's, it's not easy. No one is saying it's easy to tackle them. But we can try to unpack them little by little by little. Over time, especially the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's its own lengthy, like decade-long discussion, but we we have to start somewhere. We should actually go to them by the time they're teenagers and ask them, hey, do you have any questions? Is there anything that you want to talk about that you've been wondering about? Let's talk about it together, provide them that safe space, and then they'll probably open up and say, actually, I've been wondering, how come we don't do this in Islam? How come we don't do that in Islam? We ask Allah to help all of us to understand our deen generally better. Amni Rabbil Alameen. The next point that I want to get to is in Surah Al Ma'idah. In Ayah 3, when Allah says, This is this ayah, this part of the ayah is very famously referenced and quoted very often. In which Allah says, uh, uh, On this day I have perfected for you your religion and have chosen for you Islam as your religion. The point that I want to, to highlight in connection with this ayah is this ayah came all the way, all the way at the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. This wasn't the last ayah period to come to the Prophet. The last ayah is the ayah right before the longest ayah in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Baqarah, the ayah right before that, fihi That was the last ayah period. But this is the last ayah in terms of ahkam, in terms of law. So when Allah says this, it's important for us to understand on a practical level, this ayah was not revealed day one or day two. This was all the way at the end of the life of the Prophet So we need to keep that in mind when we're dealing with converts. We need to keep that in mind when we're dealing with people who are Muslim but maybe they're slowly but surely returning to their faith. We need to take things one step at a time. First there's iqra and then two decades later you have this ayah but we need to give people room and time to grow. Allow them to breathe, let them to grow in their faith and their practice. It's not going to happen overnight for us, not for them, not even for the Sahaba and they're, they're on a whole nother level. So if Allah gave them two decades before this ayah is revealed, then we should take a step back and realistically analyze where are we at and then how can we... No one is saying not to grow, but we need to take it one step at a time, right? You don't complete a thousand mile journey in one step. It's many, many, many small steps. We ask Allah to make it easy for all of us. The next point that I want to get to is when Prophet Musa ﷺ is telling his people that Allah has basically given them the green light. Allah has, you could even say, commanded them to, to go and to, to conquer Jerusalem. And look at the response that they had. There's a lot that can be dissected from this story. Their response was, Their response was, "Go, Go fight you and your Lord, we're going to sit nice and cozy, right here. We don't want to lift a finger. We don't want to do anything. So we need to take a step back and ask ourselves and to reflect internally, okay, is this the approach that we have regarding our community? Do we simply step back and then let a few people go and do a 100,000 things, and then meanwhile we're expecting fruit to grow on these trees, but we're not watering anything? So we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, Are we contributing financially? How about time? How about resources? How about effort? No one is saying to go and do everything, but if every person does a little bit, it will go a long way. So we want to avoid this approach of, okay, go ahead, like what they told Prophet Musa, go fight you and your Lord, we're going to sit right here. After that, you find him turning to Allah saying, this is too much. This is too much. He was abandoned by his people at a time of need. So we have to ask ourselves regarding each other in our community, are we really helping each other or have we abandoned each other in a number of different ways? And the last one that I want to get to is, and it's after the story of Prophet Musa, the first murder in human history. What was the main reason why that murder unfortunately occurred between Cain and Abel, between Qabil and Habil, two of the sons of Prophet Adam It was primarily due to envy. It was primarily due to this sickness in the heart that actually drove someone to literally physically kill his brother. What's interesting to note within this story, that each of them were commanded to give a sacrifice. And Allah accepted from one, وَلَمْ min al akhar, And Allah did not accept from the other. Which one did he accept from? Allah accepted the sacrifice from Qabir. And what's interesting to know is he gave from the best of what he had. And Allah accepted it. But then from, from uh, 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 excuse me, that was from, from Habil, from, from Abel. I switched the names, I apologize. Qabil, bad guy. Habil, good guy. So Habil gave from the best of what he had. And Allah accepted it. Qabil, Cain, gave from the worst of what he had. Allah didn't accept it. So I need to ask myself, when I give charity, when I give sadaqah, when I give time and effort, this out or the other, am I giving from good quality from what I have? Am I giving from the best of what I have? Or am I giving from the worst of what I have? Realistically speaking, unfortunately, a lot of the time, right, we give from the worst that we have. And we think we're doing God a favor. This story reminds us very clearly, Allah is not going to accept that. If you give to Allah the scum from what you have, why would Allah accept it? We would not accept that from each other. So why would Allah accept it from us when anything we have is from him in the first place? It was accepted from one, not accepted from the other. Unfortunately, one went and and killed the other. And the Prophet taught us that for every murder that that occurred after that, a portion of it goes back to him. A portion of it goes back to the first one who did that. Why? The key reason why was because there was no tawbah afterwards. There was no repentance afterwards. Had there been tawbah, perhaps Allah would have accepted it, and then that that cuts that cuts that line of going back to him. But when when there's no tawbah after the sin, then it trickles down and it keeps on going and going and going. We ask Allah to protect us from leaving behind. Negative things, and we ask Allah to make us from among those who only leave behind positive things. Amirah bil-Hamim, Rabbanatina fid-dunya hasna wa akhirati hasna wa qinada bil-nar wa akhirun. Alhamdulillah,hi Rabbi.